Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Leadership Network Podcast. This is Church Next. I'm Dave Rhodes. And I'm Shane Stacy. And today we're talking about who's driving your church. We wrote an article about this, and you may have read it. We're going to review that here in just a moment. But before we get to that, we've got a special guest with us today. His name is David Loveless. Welcome, David. Thanks. Great to be with you guys again. Yeah, we're so glad that you are here. Just a little bit about David Loveless. He was the founding pastor for Discovery Church, spent 29 years there as the lead pastor of Discovery Church. Uh, He is now the executive director of campuses and leadership development at First Baptist Orlando. He's also a sought-after coach, consultant, spiritual advisor, both to businesses and churches. And I know for me and my ministry, he's been a trusted voice that I could go to over and over again to get perspective, strategic insight from. And so I'm so thankful, David, that you're here on the show with us today. Looking forward to an incredibly engaging conversation around who's driving your church, which is a big question uh, we as pastors and leaders have to answer because sometimes who we think is driving is not driving it. Uh, and uh, we need to make some shifts and changes to get the right kinds of things back in the driver's seat and the navigation seat. So Shane, uh, this is the subject for today. Who's driving your church? We wrote the article on it. Give us a, a bit a little bit of an overview of, of what we're going to be talking about today, and then we'll bring David in for some questions and feedback. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a fun um, little metaphor that we use from our dear friend, George Bullard, um, if you're if you're aware of him, if not, you need to check out some of his work. But the idea is around um, if you if you imagined that your church is a car um, and it's heading up what we might call Ministry Mountain, uh, summoning kind of that dream that that God's placed in the heart of you as as a group of leaders and as a church and as a congregation. And um, when a when a church is starting or in the beginning, you know, you want to ask the question, like, who are the passengers that are needed as we summit this mountain? Who are the passengers that we need in this in this vehicle? And uh, the first pastor that jumps in, of course, is vision. Vision's completely, you know, unadulterated, just this holy, you know, um, angst that's in someone's heart um, and in a group of people's hearts about, you know, particular people, maybe a particular place. So, you know, who are we bringing the good news to and um, what might that look like? And it's the questions around, you know, imagine, imagine if, imagine if, and Vision jumps in and is driving and, uh, and, and soon Dave picks up. Uh, favorite passenger along the way and, and navigator, and that's the disciple making his relationships or relational disciple making, like to say, gets in the car, jumps into the passenger seat. That beginning years, that's a ton of fun, right? I mean, that's a ton, ton of fun. It's messy. Uh, it's messy as visions driving, as disciple making relationships. And, and the way we would describe disciple making relationships is really around people helping people find and follow Jesus and helping other people do the same. But as they're moving along, eventually the question is, you know, what are we, you know, what are we going to do with all these people? And uh, and so Vision pulls over, uh, picks up a third passenger. Uh, that passenger is programs, and the big question is, where does programs get in into the car? What seat does uh, the, of the car does programs get into? 
for the sake of just kind of quick overview here, let's just say programs hops in the back seat behind uh, relationships, uh, stop making relationships. We're going to define programs. You guys know, I mean, talk about programs always gets a bad rap, right? Um, and things. Let's just simply define programs as how we're organizing our relational sign together. All right. So not the devil. So the devil didn't get in the back seat, but the devil gets in the car. Uh, programs gets in the car, sits behind uh, disciple making relationships in order to help support uh, those relationships. Uh, continues up Ministry Mountain. Um, and as it does, of course, you know, as you have different programs going on, things get a little more complicated. You need to uh, pull over, pick up another passenger, pick up um, management. Management gets in the car. Management's those accountable systems, things that help create some some order uh, to to uh, um, to the church and uh, things. And management gets in behind vision to support vision. Now that's ideal. We're 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 you know with everyone with with vision driving and disciple making relationships navigating. You got you got um, programs supporting um, the disciple making relationships. You got management supporting vision. You're in a place that you really can summit. You know um, that dream that that God's placed in your heart together and be a thriving congregation. But the the reality is, over time, we've all experienced this, right? Vision gets tired, starts to take a nap, moves into the back seat. Uh, management steps into the driver's seat, big grin on management's face as soon as he, you know, steps into, into that driver's seat, you know, gets the hands on the wheels. This is where I've always been. The ride's going to get way smoother. We're going to make this thing efficient. We're going to make this thing orderly. And um, so now you got management driving. You got um, disciple-making relationships um, in the navigation seat. Well, management looks over and goes, man, with you know, relationships are messy. Uh, I'd rather, you know, favorite, favorite person. They love navigating his programs. Let's get programs up here. And so invites uh, programs to jump into the front seat and take shotgun and uh, disciple making relationships takes that back seat. And, um, and so they're, they're moving along, of course. And, and we know um, they we're cresting ministry mountain at this point, we are on our way down the backside and you've got vision now sleeping in the back seat. You got disciple making relationships sleeping in the back seat, uh, management driving. And over time, uh, you know, even programs uh, gets a little challenging. Uh, programs is is going to fall asleep as well. And uh, and on the back side of Ministry Mountain, uh, management's going to eventually just careen that bad boy <laughs> in, in, into into some brick wall. The church is going to close. So. That's, you know, that that's the metaphor. That's the idea around who's driving. Um, we, you know, who, who we long to be driving, who, who needs to be driving. We want vision to be driving, um, relational disciple making, um, navigating. And um, with that, with that in mind, I just, David, I'd love to ask you as a senior pastor and as someone who's now been in that discipleship uh, uh, pastors um, space as well, um, no one wants um, discipleship or vision to fall asleep. No one wants either of those to be in the back seat. Um, but why do you think uh, we, you know, that happens, or we let that happens, or there's a tendency for either one of those to, in essence, fall asleep in any church today? Yeah, I I, I love this this analogy. It is to me, it's both illuminating as well as convicting. Right, and it reminds me of part of my, uh, you know, ministry and leadership. Uh, journey. You know, I founded and led this large church for a number of years. And the early stage is just the way you described it. I mean, it was driven by this God ordained vision and then the relational disciple making. 
For years, it was like that. But over time, I fell asleep at the wheel. Mm. And, you know, as I look back, just using this particular analogy, you know, I think I got lulled to sleep because we had uh, we had reached some part of the summit of the mountain and we got a lot of attention because we climbed that far and because what our vehicle looked like. And we ended up losing sight of what the purpose of our vehicle was. And it's almost like our vehicle was now winning car shows in church world. Right. And because of how our vehicle looked, because of how she seemed to perform in a unique and a different way. And I think over time, uh, without my, you know, realizing it, I certainly wasn't intentionally doing that, but it was more about how can I keep her popular as a vehicle? Right. And uh, so when I, when I look at this analogy, I'm like, gosh, that explains so much where we started off so good out of the purity of heart. But over time, we wanted to gain more and more approval. And we actually thought we were pretty darn smart because of which part of the summit we'd gotten to on the mountain. Right. I think you're bringing up a huge point here. I want to dive into just a little bit more. And that is that oftentimes uh, when vision and relational disciple making get replaced in the front seat of the car, the church is still succeeding. Like like the, the right. church is still climbing. Uh, and oftentimes part of the reason they get in the front seat is because of the success the church is, is seeing. It's, hap- it's happening so quickly that you can't keep up relationally. And so it's easy for programs to lead because you've got more and more people coming to the church. You're just trying to keep up with things. And then management is trying to repeat things. So you're trying to repeat success and you're trying to keep up with growth so that no one really is, is trying to replace vision and relationship disciple making, but the pressure of continuing success just kind of creates that. Talk, talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, it's, you know, you, you keep thinking that you are successful over time. You think it's because it's been a formula because you don't start off that way. None of us do. Right. So it's you're seeking in the earlier stages, trying to be very spirit led. Uh, the way I've tried to think about it and and talk about it over the years is I want to be both spirit led and strategically focused. And, but more and more over time, you start leaning more on the strategically focused and you leave out the spirit led part of it. And, um, and then, you know, what you really ended up being commended for uh, has nothing to do with actually who's driving the car. It's how the car looks, how the car has been performing And the fact that other people, other leaders, other churches, they want to reach the summit that you feel like or that they perceive you proverbially, you know, reached in the in the church world. And uh, but those of us that have driven these vehicles for so long, we know there's a heck of a lot more to the story. And I think that's what you guys are trying to literally get under the hood with. Yeah. Now, it'd be easy to just say, hey, let's get vision back in the front seat. Let's get relational disciple making back in the navigation seat. But we all know that doesn't happen without some shifts taking place. So, uh, Shane, in the article, we talk about five shifts that are necessary. Run us through some of those shifts really quickly. And then, David, would love to get your feedback. You know, as you've done this as a lead pastor, as you do this as, you know, executive uh, pastor and leadership development pastor, discipleship pastor at First Baptist Orlando, you know, which one of these, you know, is easiest? Which one of these is the biggest struggle? So, Shane, walk us through it. And then, David, would love to get some color commentary from you on it. 
Yeah, we talk about uh, five different shifts. One of them is the idea of uh, move the finish line. And what we mean by that is moving the finish line from the idea of simply, you know, attend, connect, and serve uh, the finish line of, of of discipleship and maturity, being your volunteering in the church, to how do we deploy people as um, everyday disciple makers in the place where they live, work, and play as as the as the real finish line, um, becoming a hero maker, not being a hero who does all the ministry. A lot of us as pastors, as leaders, over time can love doing ministry and not being the developers of others so that they can live into um, who God's uh, designing and, and called them to be. Shameless um, plug right there. Dave Ferguson, that's part of Leadership Network, yeah. wrote a great book called Hero Maker. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, just so if you haven't gotten that book, get that from Dave Ferguson. Totally. Yeah, the third one is around build a training center. Um, and most we say oftentimes most churches are, are function really well as teaching centers. Um, but when we talk about training centers, really raising up people and, 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 and deploying them as everyday leaders, kingdom leaders, um, and that training and development is um, a normalized part of that. Um, and then uh, the 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 next one is empowering each one and empowering each one is really helping people identify what is their Ephesians 2.10 calling? Where is it that God is calling them and how do we as a church empower that and, and um, not just have a vision that they can come help us. But part of our vision is literally to help them identify um, who are the people in their relational spheres of influence that God is inviting and calling them to and how do we empower them into that uh, place of calling. And then the last one is the step into the future through um, having a shared vision. And we talk about this a lot. It's one thing to have a vision, as we were talking about earlier, having shared vision together and holding that over the long haul is uh, much more challenging. So those are the five shifts uh, that we, we talked about in the article. We unpacked that a bit more. Um, David, what do you find um, as, you know, what shift do you, do you see that um, is you know necessary or hardest to make? Or even as we think about these shifts, um, have you found is absolutely necessary um, to be able to reawaken uh, vision or reawaken disciple making relationships? <laughs> I think for me, hands down, the hardest, most difficult, uh, both in the current context in which I sit, as well as the you know many leaders and churches I work with around the country on a regular basis, it's the empower each one <laughs> because. Um, it feels like it's most challenging and difficult because of the level of customization that's really required. And, but that customization happens when there's actual real life on life relational disciple making that's really transpiring versus program disciple making. To me, in program disciple making, where we know the church is very stuck these days, instead of empowering each one, Program disciple making is more about let's empower everyone and let's do it all at once, right? Mm -hmm. And where uh, you know where it takes the shortest amount of time. Uh, most people don't realize that the modern day disciple making movement, I think, has its roots back in the back in the 1940s and 50s with a guy by the name of Dawson Trotman that founded the Navigator organization. And but Dawes didn't start off trying to build an organization. And uh, he would sit down with people that were in, you know, in the militaries. He started with like people in the Navy and he would they, he would just invite them around his you know, kitchen table and he would pour into their lives. 
he started creating, you know, napkin sketches at that time of a wheel of a hand. Right. And they became his disciple making tools. He would attach text to that particular tool that became reproducible. But the point was he would pour into their lives right there. That was a relational disciple making. Uh, they and their girlfriends, or if they had wives, they would come over on a regular basis in the evenings and they would eat dinner together. They would talk about what was going on in their lives. But he kept asking each one of them. I know this initially sounds like a sexist question, but we have to remember this is in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> he was dealing with you know military guys around his table, and we keep asking him, where's your man? Where's your man? Where's your man? I think today he would go, where's your man or where's your woman? Yeah. And uh, he was he was talking about relational disciple making. But the reason why I bring this up is he would listen to the ship that they were stationed on or the base that they were stationed on. He would ask about the people they were regularly serving with and working with and training with. And then he would help them design what, you know, the three of us would call their unique kingdom platform. Right. And so it was about empowering each one of them instead of trying to empower everyone all at one time. So let, let's let's dive a little further into that, especially you're in a context of a pretty large church um, mm -hmm. at First Baptist Orlando. What does that look like? Like, I mean, how do you do that when you're when you've got 10,000 people coming on a Sunday? Like, what does that look like for you? What like where are the places that you're seeing success on that? Where are the places that you might be struggling a little bit on that? Dang, dang, dang. It's challenge, challenge, challenge. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we got 10,000 people that uh, regularly come there and everyone's fixated on empowering everyone. And but those of us that have been around this, you know, church block and kingdom block long enough, no, that's really not even possible. Uh, that's an illusion we live under. And so to me, it's all about my regularly gathering, uh, you know, you know, several people at one time, my pouring into them, helping them build, you know, new spiritual connections in their own walk with the Lord in terms of where they can follow Jesus in new, refreshing, uh, life replenishing ways, and then teaching them how to reproduce that in the lives of other people through, you know, a series of reproducible disciple making tools. And then most importantly, as a, as a part of one of those tools that, again, the three of us are familiar with, is just helping them discover who are their persons of peace, you know, in their neighborhoods or in the networks in which they operate, you know, the normally in their normal five to six day a week routine. And then how can they begin to discover what is the unique voice that God has given them and the unique value that they have to offer to other people there? And how can they do that? in a non-religious manner where you can begin to reach people that wouldn't be caught dead uh, inside their own coffin inside of a church and then kind of disciple them out several generations. So, yeah, shameless plug here uh, real quick. Some of the tools that David's talking about, uh, Shane and I lay out in the Leadership Network video series uh, mm -hmm. about uh, um, kingdom platform, uh, embracing your kingdom platform, how to be a leader that is easy to follow. So if you're interested in getting some of those tools, you can come back here to Leadership Network and watch the video series from Church Next. But a, a little follow-up question for you, David. I mean, you know, you're doing that. You're trying to multiply that out, but I'm, I'm assuming you still got the pressure of the system and of the default scorecard that bumps against that from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. How, you want how to do you manage secrets? Yeah. How do you how do you manage the tension of that? Like how, how do you how do you like you know you're trying to build this out, but you feel the pressure of the system? Like just take us in real life, real time. This this week at First Baptist Orlando, how, how did you how did you how did you balance the tension of that? Yeah, balancing the tension has had to do with you know I've helped us create a. Uh, a different type of spiritual process than what our church was used to operating with over the last, you know, many decades. And it really represents your first master tool around the funnel fusion, where they had a really good assimilation funnel, but they didn't have a multiplication funnel. So what I basically did was I I helped us weld those two things together into one overall comprehensive spiritual process. So on a weekly basis, we're going to be fixated on the first part of that spiritual process that has to do with the attend, right, connect, serve, slash, give, and all of that. But this the spiritual uh, process that we stare at that is literally a ministry map on our wall, as an executive team, we'll sit there and stare at that and go, okay, but what are we doing for the other several levels underneath that that help us move from addition to multiplication? Where is their movement there? Where are we stuck? Because we know in typical, you know, executive management type uh, meeting settings, people are fixated on the first several levels of that. And you have to have the right people in the room, as well as the right ministry map in front of everyone that forces the conversation to go, okay, but after everything we've done with those first several levels, where is there the energy, manpower, resources, budget where we are forcing ourselves to move into the lower part of this process where actual multiplication takes place. So this week, we, we were experiencing a lot of tension around that. And some days, honestly, I think, I, don't, I know it's worth it, but it feels like the gravitational pull of that assimilation mm-hmm. funnel and the modern day church model is too strong. And yet I know from the Gospels, from the Book of Acts, Mm -hmm. as well as my own history over the years, I know that that multiplication funnel, if you get that thing moving long enough and in the right way, it can be reproducible unlike anything that the, you know, the addition machine of the modern day church has ever imagined. Hey, so with that, I'm going to keep, I want to press in and I want to get uh, maybe a, a little vulnerable here uh, with the group that's listening, uh, because, you know, we talk, we're talking strategy at the beginning of the podcast, you talked about, it's got to be this, you know, marrying of, you know, strategy and spirit, the pressure of the system as we're trying to make shifts and changes, it does something to us as individual pastors. Now, I know you're co-founder of Live True with your wife, Corone. Um, you wrote a book called Nothing to Prove, which is about really reclaiming your soul as a pastor, because we can't talk about these shifts without really addressing the spiritual dynamic and the pressure that oftentimes as pastors and leaders, we feel that too oftentimes are medicated with unhealthy things or broken things. Um, you and your wife, Corone, do a lot of work on the soul of the pastor. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, how to keep our souls healthy while we're strategically making some of these paradigm shifts in our ministries. Is it po- Is that possible? <laughs> Gosh, you're begging for a different podcast right there. But uh, <laughs> A whole series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, what we like to think of is, is how can you and I have a thriving ministry without losing our soul? I've had a thriving ministry with a healthy soul. I've had a thriving ministry and I've lost my soul. Mm. I've ended up not having a ministry at all because I didn't have a healthy soul going on. And mm. so, you know, is it possible to have both of those? Absolutely it is. We know Jesus was saying, though, there's a danger for leaders, you know, to go out and to gain the ministry world and end up losing some part of our personal soul, the soul of our marriage of our family, of the, the key important you know, things in our lives. You know, so these days when I'm coaching leaders, I just coach them around tools I've developed that are necessary for David Lovelace's healthy soul. For example, uh, each day I will tend to ask myself, here's how I try to figure out if I'm living out of a healthy soul or unhealthy soul. I'll ask myself, Lovelace, do you need anything or anyone to change in order for you to be okay? Mm. You've asked if me that I need, You've asked I need me that something. question. What? You've asked me that question on, on several <laughs> times, on several occasions. Yes. So if I need something or someone to change in order for me to be okay, then I'm operating more out of an unhealthy soul as opposed to, you know what, if nothing and no one changes, I'm okay because of experientially, not theologically, experientially, my, my experience in being connected with God in my true self, my true identity, that we're, we're all as well. There's a garden within me. There is a kingdom within me. There is a river within me where all is well right now. That's not conditional. It's not based upon anything going in a particular direction or going right or being resolved. The more I can dip into those waters and drink from those waters throughout the course of every day and then operate from that basis, then all of a sudden I'm going to just look at each thing that is coming in front of me I need to pay attention to as a sovereign moment. And all I need to do is to serve the sovereign moment in front of me and then back up and release the outcome of that to, to the Lord, to <laughs> who has a much higher pay grade than me. That, that is so hard to do. I mean, it's, it's easy oh, to say it hard is. to do when you, especially the steeper ministry mountain is, is getting, you're mm -hmm. pushing the pedal to the metal and you're doing it for all the right reasons, but it's just have an effect on your soul. It is. Um, and it's, you know, yeah, it is. But I think a part of that is, you know, I know you guys have used the whole phrase throughout this about being lulled to sleep. The more we go up the steep ministry mountain, the more we'll, we're lulled into sleep, believing that this is primarily dependent upon all of our mm. efforts mm. and all of our work and all of the, these giftings or abilities that you know, we've been entrusted with. And we keep forgetting who is actually pulling us up that mountain. That's huge. Us, I mean, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> I was going to say that connect a couple of dots of, of things you said and we, we were talking about shifts um to kind of reawaken vision and disciple making and you've named though just now two things of the place it starts is not necessarily in the organization but one of the places it starts is in my soul as a leader one of the places it starts you you named as well is in uh, my relationships as a leader so that this is truly my way of life and the question being who are the people i'm uh, investing in and and pulling close as well am, am i am i hearing you right on that david that 
one, one of the places it begins is not just in the organization, but in me as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, I would just go back to the metaphor of this podcast and go, um, am I tuned into the unique vision that God has birthed within me, my Ephesians 2.10 vision that God has had long before I was born, that he's never, ever, ever given up on. And then when I think about, you know, who's in that navigator front seat of, you know, relational disciple making, am I experiencing that as a follower of Jesus each day myself, where I'm being relationally led? I'm not being theologically led by some unseen force, but there's a relationship that's going on that I'm regularly being fed by and led by in my own heart and life. Then that gives me the ability to move that from what I'm experiencing personally into the organizational side of it. That's good. Yeah, let's investigate that a little bit more uh, before we wrap up today, because, you know, we talk about trying to crest Ministry Mountain without losing your soul. It's an important thing to remember. Uh, but it seems like in the world that we live in, there's kind of a reactionary movement to that, to almost not climbing up Ministry Mountain at all. So, I mean, you see great exodus of pastors from ministry. They're just like, I'm not doing that anymore. Or, you know, this kind of checkout mentality where it's like any ambition is bad and I'm just going to, you know, disciple a few. And that's really what our trade. And then, you know, <laughs> ministry kind of collapses on the back end of that. So talk to us from the other side of the ball now on, okay, yeah, you can't just check out. You know, there is, you know, an impetus scripturally to, you know, not just be led astray by ambition, but to be ambitious about the right things in the right way. Uh, you know, Jesus said, go and make disciples or, you know, Jesus had a bit of vision and ambition that was driving him. It wasn't just this sense of, you know, I don't, I'm just going to choose not to be quote unquote successful so that I can be healthy. You know, you, you, you exemplify that, I think in, in a way that I'd love to have people here. Ooh, baby, I'm I'm a work in progress every day. That's 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 all it is with me. So we know there's nothing wrong with achieving things, with having ambition. I would I would say I would suggest that uh, our God is an extremely ambitious God. <laughs> he wants the <laughs> world, right? <laughs> when, when, when he creates the world, and then the imagination he literally has for what he's going to do in and through that world throughout the whole history of time. That's a bit on the ambitious side. We know when Jesus, you know, lands here and moves into adulthood, he was trying to achieve some significant things. So there's nothing wrong with that. But again, here's here's a here's a check in point that David Lovelace has to do on the interior in his own soul on a regular basis. Each day as I'm seeking to achieve things, quote, in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit, uh, do what I what I look for is this. I look for, do I need, let's go back to one of my other questions a moment ago. Do I need to achieve even more in order for me to feel okay? Is that what, is that what's really driving me? Or am I really being led by the spirit of God and what needs to be accomplished next and giving myself to that? It, it's all about, it, it's like ambition. It's like approval and ambition. There's nothing wrong with getting approval. 
It's when I feel like I need more of it in order to be okay. Nothing wrong with achieving more, but if I need more of it in order for me to personally be okay, or for me to believe our church will be seen in a particular light, that's when I know I've moved from, you know, healthy, you know, uh, spirit led to really being driven by uh, something else that's going on that is not going to end up in a good place. Yeah. Well, I hate to end the conversation because there's so much that I want to continue to talk about. But no, may, maybe please. just as we wrap up before we get you know uh, out there, how people can find you. What, what's at stake if we don't have these conversations? If we don't, mm. you know, you know, try to make some of these shifts. What, what's at stake for pastors and leaders um, if we just keep doing what we're doing? Man, I think we'll. I, I think we will end up being led by and surrendered to the personality of the local church, the program, right? The property, that kind of deal, instead of really being led by and surrendered to, you know, the Holy Spirit that we know has unique 210, Ephesians 210 calling, not just on individuals, but on a church. Each church has its own unique calling that we believe that God has given it when God first dreamt up that church long before it started. And we'll, we can also end up, uh, part of what's at stake is we can end up being led by another person's ministry model instead of the unique one that God's really called us to. I think another thing that's at stake is that, you know, we, we often are not aware of this cruise control, keeping with the analogy of the vehicle. We don't realize there's a cruise control within that ministry vehicle that oftentimes we accidentally turn that on and it removes the need for really being led by the spirit and dependent and surrendered on the spirit on a regular basis. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap up with how, how can people get more of the things that you're talking about? How can people get connected to you? Um, and if they have questions or if they want to go further in maybe being coached or consulting, like how, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, the easiest thing is just email David Loveless. Uh, it's L-O-V-E-L-E-S-S, David Loveless at firstorlando.com. So our website, we're refurbishing it right now. So that's why email would be the easiest thing. Great. Uh, Live True, how do they get, how do they, you know, if they want to- Same thing, just, e just email right there. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of Leadership Network Podcast Church Next. Um, Shane, it's been a great conversation today. David, thank you so much for yes, thank just you, opening up your life and ministry to us so we could get a sneak peek of what God is doing, the things that he's led you through. Uh, Shane, so, thanks so much for kind of walking us through the metaphor and uh, for just kind of continuing to open our eyes to uh, the challenges and both obstacles that we have. So thanks again, everyone. This is Dave Rhodes and Shane Stacy signing off. Uh, thank you, David Loveless. And um, thanks for tuning in to the Leadership Network Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network Podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.